What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? What is this? Are you trying to trick me? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, I've got another Best of Storytime episode for you. You know, sometimes I might be out of town, sometimes I might have a busy work week, sometimes I might be sick. What I do, rather than rerun an episode, is I pull stories from some of the previous episodes, some of the stories I've gotten a lot of comments on, some of my favorite stories, and I put them together in a best of episode just so you can hear them again. If you haven't heard the stories before, I hope you enjoy them. If you have heard the stories before, I hope you enjoy them again. So here you go. This is the best of story time. Radio has always been important to me, and it was important to me from a young age, and it's been important to me throughout my life because, as many of you know, I did work in radio for several years uh, before I chose a different path to go down in my career, but I've always enjoyed radio, I've always listened to radio, and I've always loved what happens in a radio broadcast, and there's so much you can do in a radio broadcast. What I never got to do in radio was the stuff that I'm doing with this podcast, which is just talk to you guys. I always had bits and I always had music to play and I always had weather forecasts to do. It was all very formatted and very strict as far as what I was able to do. What I aspired to do was what I heard as a child, which was talk radio, not the talk radio we have now with politics and ranting and people going off on each other and getting people to yell at each other. There was talk radio where you actually talked about things or people would tell stories. And one of the greatest storytellers for me was Gene Shepard. But I wanted to talk about radio in general because radio, to me, it's the theater of the mind. Now, I said in the pilot episode, we're not going to do any theater in this podcast. But you know what? The whole podcast is theater because when you're listening to me, you have an image of me. Now, many of you know what I look like from uh, watching me on Twitch, but some of you have never seen me on Twitch, and so you only have an image of me based on my voice. And I remember the days in radio when you didn't have pictures of what the DJs looked like, so you would form an image in your head of what these guys looked like. And then you were so shocked and often disappointed when you actually saw their faces and go, oh my god, that's not what I thought he looked like at all. Jeez. But that's the power of your imagination, coupled with the power of sound and the theater of the mind. Radio and podcasts can take you places based on who you're listening to, based on how well they tell a story, based on a lot of different factors, and it's an amazing medium to use. And I've always loved that you can play with people's imaginations, take them in different directions, and show them things that they might not otherwise see, like what I look like, where I am, what I'm wearing. You have all these things in your mind right now, and that's part of the theater of the mind. You create the the stage upon which you're listening to this podcast. And that's an amazing little thing to me. And that's kind of what I want to do today, too, is to build something together. I know it sounds difficult, right? How are we going to do that? We're, we're not in the same room. We don't have tools. We don't have wood. We don't need that. We've got the theater of the mind and we've got my words and your imagination. So we're going to build our podcast studio today. And I need your help to do it because you need to be able to visualize where I am. So our podcast studio, it's, it's a, an 8 by 10 room. And in back of me right now is a large plate glass window overlooking the New York skyline. 
Now, you've all seen the New York skyline, so you have an image of that in your head. Now, the plate glass is double-plated, so we're not getting any of that nasty city noise in here. But you can see the buildings over there to the left is the Chrysler Building, and just past that is the Empire State Building. And if we look downtown, we can actually see the Freedom Tower. It's all the way down at the end of, at the end of Manhattan Island. And when we look at our window to the left and to the right, we can see Brooklyn, we can see New Jersey, we can see for miles, because we're pretty high up in the building that the Bodcast Studio is in. So you have that image in your mind. Now, that's what's in back of us as we're sitting here at the microphone. The desk that I'm sitting at, it's about six feet long. I have plenty of room here. I've got some papers here. You know, I have some notes so that I can keep track of what I want to talk about. Got some pens over here so I can keep track of things and write things down. And, uh, you know, it looks like a desk. But there's, you know, there's a computer screen over there so I can keep track of the time. It's over on the left. And it's a, it's a nice big timer because I have bad eyes. So I can see the big numbers ticking as the time goes by and we see how long we're talking. And over on the right, there's a glass of water so that I can wet my whistle as I continue to talk and need a little moisture to keep the voice going. And then directly across from me, there's a great big double-paned window looking into the engineer's room. The engineer's room, you say? Why, yes, of course, the engineer's room. What good, self-respecting podcast wouldn't have an engineer's room? I can't do this by myself. I need an engineer. So we have to create our engineer. By the way, the glass is right there, you can tell, because I just tapped on it. So there's the glass. I can reach it from sitting right here at the desk. I just reach over and and I get the engineer's attention. Yep, yep, he's waving. Yep, how you doing? How you doing? Now, anybody who's familiar with the stream knows there can only be one person to be the engineer, and that's Mr. Agador. Of course, Mr. Agador is our engineer. Now, I don't need to say anything more than that for a lot of you. You already have an image in your mind of what Mr. Agador looks like. Mr. Agador is a person to you because he runs the bots in the stream and he runs the raffles and he runs all of the bank heists and all of the arenas. That's Mr. Agador. And Mr. Agador can be very picky when people post things that he doesn't like and does things that he doesn't like. He'll time you out for 10 seconds, but he'll also reward you with chips and bits and all kinds of goodies. So you have an image of Mr. Mr. Agador and that image comes with a way he looks a way he sounds, a way he dresses. Well, we're going to add a little to Mr. Agador today because we're going to talk to Mr. Agador. Yes, we are actually going to talk to Mr. Agador. Mr. Agador. Yo, Mr. Agador. I, I, I know, I know. I need you to open your mic and say something just so the people know you're there. Mm, I don't get paid to talk. You don't get paid to do anything. Wait, what? What? Uh, we'll talk about it later. So there you have Mr. Agador. He now has a voice. We've created Mr. Agador and a voice to go with him. We can put that voice with the figure we've created in our minds. And next time we're in the stream together and you see Mr. Agador's name pop up, you're now going to associate a voice with Mr. Agador. It's amazing when you think about it. In our minds, we've created a person. And he's working behind the glass over there. And he's part of the podcast. Pretty cool, isn't it?
I don't know why I'm obsessed with telephones, but I'm obsessed with telephones. Not so much talking on the phone, because I was never a phone talker, and I talk on the phone for my work, and I talk on the phone with friends and family. Uh, so it's not like I have to be talking all the time. It's just fascinating to me the way phones have developed in our lives and how they've taken such a central point in our life, but in a different way than it was when I was a kid. And I'll explain. Today, cell phones are like unbelievable. They're amazing. We have more computing power in our pockets now than it took to land people on the moon. I, if you look that up, you'll see the computing power in like an iPhone 10 is significantly greater. I don't have the statistics, the statistic, can't even say the word, the statistics in front of me. There you go. <laughs> but I know that the iPhone 10 could probably land us in a, on a planet in Andromeda galaxy at some point compared to what they used to get to the moon. But that's beside the point. The point is that the phones these days are just the focal point of everybody's existence. We all text, we all DM, we all talk. Actually, talking is one of the things we do least on the phone compared to the research and the streaming and the, and the browsing various websites and the cruising the net and the surfing the net and the do whatever you want to call it. We're all over the place using this little phone in our pocket. And that's the central focus of our existence these days. Phones have always been the central focus of our existence, just a different kind of phone and in a different way. Because when telephone communication started, and I'm not going to give you a history lesson, don't worry. But the point is, when phones came into existence, it brought people closer together. And the phone often became the focal point of everybody's world. If you've ever watched the reruns of the Andy Griffith Show, you know the candlestick phone that they used in the houses. When I when I say candlestick, it's that phone that sits straight up and down and you have a little mouthpiece you speak into and then you pull the handle off and you put that to your ear and you ring up the operator and you say, hey, Martha, get me Mount Pilot. And Martha would do her little connecting thing and she'd take the connecting cord from her switchboard and plug it into the, the who'sie what'sis to get her to Mount Pilot and then you could talk to somebody at Mount Pilot without ever having to dial a telephone number. The problem, of course, is you had to have an operator on duty to make those connections. The point being that you had this phone, instead of having to drive to Mount Pilot or take a horse to Mount Pilot or walk to Mount Pilot, you could now communicate almost instantly with Mount Pilot. And that was an amazing jump in technology for people, and it brought people and towns and families and everybody closer together. I do predate a lot of the video games. I've been around for a while. I've played a lot of games in my life. I grew up loving games. That was our entertainment. As I've said many times in the stream and as I've said in other episodes of the podcast, we had radio and TV and playing outside. The fourth thing we had was playing in the basement. Mom would always send us down to the basement. You kids get out of my hair, go down to the basement and play a game. And we did all kinds of things in the basement with various toys and accoutrements that we had down there. Everything from dad's bin of tools that he didn't sort but didn't know what to do with, to the train set, to the cowboys and Indians, to whatever we could dress up in and play with and spread out and entertain ourselves with. Because there wasn't anything like a video game or a console or a handheld. We had... <laughs> It's about a level up from dirt and rocks compared to what we have today. Now, back for us, this was sophisticated stuff. I had a Lionel train set, which my dad had picked up at an auction. Now, these days, people collect Lionel trains, and they are the be-all and end-all, and you have these magnificent displays and these engines and these cabooses and these freight cars, and they set them up, and they just treasure them. Back when I was a kid, 
We would set up that train track on the basement floor, and uh, we'd have our little toy cowboy and Indians. Yes, we were very politically incorrect. We actually played cowboys and Indians, and they would sell the little plastic figures. You You could get a bag of cowboys, and you could get a bag of Indians, and set up these epic battles wherever you wanted to. So, of course, we set them up on the Lionel train track. And uh, we mastered the ability of running over various cowboys and or Indians with the trains. That's how we amused ourselves. That was just one of many things. But that's, that's the stuff that we played with. The things that we played with were the actual board games when we weren't playing with our figures or our trains or sticks and stones outside. And those stories are for another podcast episode. But the board games that I want to talk about are the original games that you think about when you think about board games. Monopoly is the first one that springs to everybody's mind. When you think about a vintage board game, Monopoly is the one that everybody comes to. And everybody seems to hate Monopoly. We loved Monopoly. We played Monopoly like it was going out of style when I was a kid. And we played a lot of Monopoly. And I'll get to our Monopoly games and some of the other games that we played. But I I wanted to talk to you about why games were so big. I alluded to it at the beginning when I said there's no video games. And I don't mean to come across as the guy who's, oh, back in my day, except that's kind of what story time is about. It's, oh, back in my day, we didn't have no video games. We didn't have arcades. We made do with sticks and stones and pieces of string. It wasn't quite that bad, but we didn't have video games or arcades or consoles or handhelds. What we had were cards and we had board games. That's what we learned to play with to entertain ourselves when we were kids. The first game that I remember learning was a card game. We would play Go Fish with my great aunt Friedi. Uh, Frida was her name, but we always called her Friedi because it was easier for us to say. And Friedi was not a good winner and she was not a good loser. She didn't want to lose Go Fish to the little kids. And when she won, boy, did we hear about it. Wow, well, you kids don't know how to play. But it was like, Okay. <laughs> Great. You beat a five-year-old playing Go Fish. Good for you, Freedy. Yay. But that's how we learned to become good winners. My mom always told us, don't act like your aunt when you win. Act like you were supposed to win, but be polite, be gracious in defeat, be gracious in victory. And that's how we learned how to behave, playing games like Go Fish with my great aunt Freedy. So that was the first game that I learned to play. And Go Fish, in case you guys don't know, it's a very basic game, but Aunt Freedy took it very seriously. We never played Old Maid. That's another game. Uh, but that was beyond our five-year-old abilities to comprehend. But we did play Go Fish because it's easy. Get four fours. Good. You got a book. Okay. Next. Five fives. Five fives. Four fives. Another book. Good. Whoever had the most books, that was the end of it. But that's what we played as the earliest game that I remember. Then somehow along the line, I discovered board games. And board games were fascinating to me for a number of reasons. Number one, there were so many different permutations of games. There was Monopoly. There was Stratego. There was Trouble. There was Parcheesi. And they were all different. And I loved them because there were different ways to win and different rule sets. And I was always interested in the rules. And how do you do this? And how do you make this happen? And how can you win this? And what happens if I do that? And what's the penalty if I do that? I was a rule book reader. And whenever we got a new game, everybody would just hand it to me and say, Gamer Dude, read the book. Tell us how to play. And that was my job. And boy, I would devour that book. And I'd learn every nuance. I'd learn how to do this. I'd learn how to do that. For instance, the Monopoly rule book. If you read it, and I did, 
many, many times, the rules specifically dictate how many houses and how many hotels you're supposed to have in the game. There are only 32 houses and 12 hotels in a Monopoly game. You can't add more. You can't pretend, okay, we'll use this token as a house. Once you used up all 32 houses, there were no more houses to be bought. So one of the strategies in Monopoly, I know I've thought about this way too much, right? But one of the strategies in Monopoly was to get as many houses as you could and control the house market. Thus the name Monopoly. You had a monopoly on the houses. If you had enough properties where you could eat up a lot of the houses, you could prevent other people from buying houses. Now, not everybody read the rule book like I did, but I learned the rules, and this is how we taught Monopoly to everybody in our little clique of friends who would play Monopoly. And we learned, oh, 32 houses, 12 hotels, okay. And that's how you could prevent yourself from getting wiped out if you controlled the housing market. I know, right? I spent a lot of time reading rule books and learning nuances of games. I still love cars. I still have the dream cars that I want. I've always liked Corvettes. I've never owned a Corvette. They're way out of my price range and totally impractical. But the dream car that I have, and I put this up in Discord if anybody saw it, is the Starsky car. The 1975 Grand Torino. Candy apple red with that ridiculous white stripe. I love that car. If I could find one of those at a reasonable price, I would own a Starsky car. That's the car that I want as my play around, have fun, just be goofy car. That would be the dream car for me. Yeah, I think about cars. To this day, I love cars. I love the freedom. I love driving. To this day, I love going places just to wander around on the roads and see what's out there. I'll take the scenic route to places. I will go visit the Corn Palace in South Dakota and the giant ball of twine. And what's that over there? The something shiny obsession that I have playing video games is a real life thing too. Because if I see an interesting an interesting street sign, an interesting scenic overlook, an interesting tourist attraction. I got to go see. What's this? And that is what the car does for me. It opens up the world for me. And that's why I love driving and why I love cars. Not only does it get me places, but it gets me places in fun and interesting ways. The Starsky car would be a cool way to get places, don't you think? I do. That's why I don't have a really big place in my heart for self-driving cars. Self-driving cars. Where's the fun in that? You know, you plot in a route and it takes you where you... No, 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 no. I don't need a self-driving car. No, I need to know where I'm going. I need to be behind the wheel. I need to find out things on my own. Self-driving cars? No, you can keep them. I need the power of the car at my fingertips. I want my foot on the accelerator. I need to be in charge. I need to decide to go that way. Or let's go that way. I need to know that I'm controlling my own destiny. Even if it's just from here to the supermarket, at least I'm doing it. That's why you won't, you won't find me in a self-driving car. They will pry my steering wheel out of my cold, dead hands because I need to be driving myself wherever I'm going for the rest of my life. That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you listening to all of the episodes, including this best of episode. Hope you liked it. If you have any suggestions or stories you'd like to hear on future best of episodes, message me on Twitter, whisper me on Twitch. Just let me know. We'll find those stories. We'll put them up in future episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, you take care of yourselves.
and I'll see you when I see you.